0: Hello and welcome to Tomlin's Harmonica Podcast, where I'll be hanging out with players and teachers and having conversations loosely based around harmonica. This week's guest can only be described as a renaissance man. He's carried out neuroscience research about musicians, worked with Barclays as a design director, and started his own product design consultancy. All of this, plus he's a world-renowned harmonica player and excellent teacher. He is Lee Sankey. Welcome to the show, Lee. How are you doing today?
1: Very good, Tomlin. Good to speak to you. Thanks for having me here, oh, well, and a very nice introduction.
0: <laughs> I'm glad you liked it. It was uh, it was quite quite a difficult one to put together because there's just there's so much stuff that you've done. Um, it was it was difficult to kind of whittle it down.
1: <laughs> well, th- yeah, thank you. I mean, in a lot of ways, I feel I, genuinely like I haven't really done anything yet. I mean, it's part of what keeps me, you know, uh, sort of going when I look at what other people. Have done and think about my own achievements, etc. Um, yeah, you just think. Mm. So yeah, it's a it's it's a tough one. It's a tough one.
0: It is a tough one, but I, I think that everyone that has has achieved a bunch of stuff is usually driven by exactly that sentiment of you know that it's it's never enough and I want to do more. Um, I, I guess I mean you know how, how do you fit everything in because you know you, you you do kind of keep on top of a bunch of stuff at any given time?
1: Yeah, I mean badly really is the is the answer to that? I mean, I think that uh, I don't have a problem like focusing, and i don't I don't have a problem making decisions on on what what to work on, but I think a lot a lot of a lot of the challenges I have are born from living in london i know that sort of sounds a a tangent but i love london and it's such an expensive place to live if you want to live here you got to get paid It's, it's it's that simple um and i don't really want to live anywhere else and um so a lot a lot of it is is just you know baseline economics um and then so my book project is a classic example where, you know, when I think about that, it just fills me with such pain that I haven't, I haven't completed it. It's such a – it's so important for me. But then when you try and balance trying to make a living at the same time, it, it, it's very difficult to, you know, put the time in to justify, to finish it. Um, so I was making really good progress with that book, Brainstruments, from 2010 to about 2012, uh, even into 2013. And then I joined Barclays and, uh, you know, you can't, and and I had a, you know, a very senior position there and I was doing some super cool stuff, which I loved. Um, but I was doing, you know, 60, 70, 80 hour weeks and you can't, it's all consuming. You can't have a senior position like that and, uh, and write a book on the side. You can't do it. And you can't now. I have my own company. I have two two businesses, and I'm and I'm actually looking at exploring launching two more at the moment, <laughs> because I think there's there's obviously this is a really crazy, tragic uh, time period that we're going through, but we we will get through it, and uh, and uh, I think there's some you know some cool things that might might come out of it as as as. as uh, tragic as, as as that may seem now and um but then i'm thinking why am i trying to do these other projects you know um when i don't post that much to youtube i don't i've got loads of courses that i could write and you know how long it takes to write good content you know anyone can sling a video up on the blue scale or here's here's how to play a song and there's a there's a there's a space for that and that those videos perform a lot of useful functions but if you want to write a proper course that's structured that has a trajectory it takes a long time a lot of effort it's not it's not trivial and um so i'm thinking oh there's all these things that i could be uh, that i could be doing so that that's a very long way of saying that um i i i you know i don't watch too much tv and um so i work a lot but also i spend a lot of time like not getting divorced uh spending time <laughs> with my my wife who who i love dearly and and you know and spending time with her and you know keeping fit looking after myself um those kind of things so in between all of that yeah its it is it it is difficult uh, and i I, I don't, by any stretch of the imagination, get it get it right.
0: <laughs> oh man, you you there's there's so much to talk about on on this this uh, trajectory because um, I, I I feel I feel the pain uh, of all these ideas and all these things that you want to execute um, and the desire to do them well. I, I think it it's it, it would be super easy to start a bunch of things and not and not see them through, um, yeah. But, but wanting to kind of see it to its logical conclusion and i actually I, I i read a book uh towards the end of last year which completely uh blew my mind um called essentialism and and basically it kind of took me out of this this mode of you know starting a new business every week starting a new course like just all these different projects um and it it, it wasn't kind of making you stop uh, everything and, and, and never do it all but doing one thing at a time uh, and making that your entire focus um, and so that that kind of made me start 2020 in a completely different vein and so I've completely focused on one set of courses I'm, I'm building out a beginner's curriculum at the moment which I've right. never done before everything had kind of been uh, a little bit a little bit more advanced than that not, not massively right. so but not kind of yeah. day one um, right and that's been great, but but then something like COVID happens, and my brain has gone into hyperdrive. As I, I think your brain's probably gone into hyperdrive with yeah. all these these new ideas, like starting this podcast, um, and it's kind of thrown me a little bit. And I'm I'm trying to settle down and refocus. Um, are you are you experiencing quarantine brain? <sighs> A
1: quarantine brain, yeah. As I think, I, I, you're gonna people are gonna go through so many different emotions in this period, and we're and we're and we're only just beginning. Uh, I don't, I know There's no right or wrong, you know, reaction to what's happening. People, I guess, will go from, you know, despair to you know, elation um in the on the same day. Uh, we're we're it's it's going to be a, a roller coaster. I think it's been particularly hard for, you know people's whose businesses have been directly and quickly affected by this musicians you know included but hotels bars etc my my main business has been impacted um by it but i think you i guess you can try and be optimistic and maintain your energy levels and um yeah it's fine if if people want to hang out play playstation 4 read books there's no right or wrong answer you know to this um i i've been trying to use the time creatively so if that's my quarantine brain but i think different people will have you know different uh different versions of it um but i think you you know you've done an amazing job tomlin building uh the business that you have you know um and that's taken a lot of focus you know you 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 do, you, you manage to do it so uh, so consistently i think that's the big thing um where talking about essentialism and that sort of f- focus i think if you if you really because I, I i the stuff that i do on youtube and vimeo is in a way is it is a business, but it's not a subscription business. You know, I I I go for long periods of not posting any any content, whereas you, you know you're you're doing so much more with it. Um I think I think you've you've done really well to kind of focus on that. And um you're building out um a platform in a way. I think when you find like a subject matter, I, I, I really like companies like Rafa and you know, Rafa, the cycling company, but if yeah. you, yeah. So if you, if you find like an area that you're really passionate about as saying it's cycling or a harmonica or whatever it is, but, uh, you then can have a core cool product around that in, in Rafa's case, it's, it's cycling clothing, but then, because they're they're passionate about cycling, they sort of build out, they build out around the universe of of cycling. They don't just make cycling clothes, that's where they started, but now they they provide cycling holidays. They've got into nutrition and all the sort of universe that surrounds what cycling means. And it's the same with the harmonica in a way. Um, you can build it out with you know guest collaborations as you do and and, and different topics and and uh, take it in so many different directions I think it's I think it's really exciting but the only way to do that really is to is to have that focus uh, on it um,
0: yeah. yeah well th- thank you for, uh, for for all those kind words um yeah it, it it has definitely required focus but I think it it was. It wasn't focused to begin with it was kind of f- fluke um in in the I, i've told this story a bunch of times before but um i used to have a brick and mortar music school here in edinburgh and i was just uploading videos for my students to have as a reference um right and it was only kind of organically starting to get a bit of traction on youtube that i then thought wow this is this is so cool and so big um that if if i did focus on it um maybe it would go somewhere and and i didn't focus wholeheartedly on it, it for for such a long time i mean i i was doing a bunch of other stuff i was still running the brick and mortar school uh, i was still teaching in a prep school once a week uh, i was buying and selling stuff on ebay just kind yeah. of tons of different things going on starting bands um and and then it was only when i kind of made that leap of faith to get rid of all the things that felt secure and go full in fully into the online space that it really does yeah. sort of make sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's a big it's a people really underestimate how much a leap a leap of faith that that requires, you know, in anything, um, when you start your own business or, or work for yourself. You know, most most people are so I don't I don't mean this in a sort of condescending or judgmental way, but just the, the physics of being employed for a lot of people. They're so ab- abstracted from how value is created and, you know, they go go to work, they do a good job. And at the end of the month, some money appears in their bank account. But as soon as you run your own business, you, you're very much connected to how 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 money, how wealth is created or not and um most people don't experience that i mean one of my favorite things with my with my main business the um innovation consultancy is um is winning projects you know it's such a buzz when you go out and you you pitch and then someone entrusts you to um work with you and um, and give you money to come up with with new ideas new products solve solve the problem and and winning that trust and delivering on it is almost as good fun as as doing the work and similarly in a, in a in a smaller way I guess for me I always get a huge buzz when someone buys one of my courses mm. because people are you know I've put something out there and so on and yes you can put up youtube content but will someone buy one of your courses and i it, i'm always uh when i check my stats if someone's bought a course it's not just like oh yeah there, there, there's some cash um it's not really about that it's about someone is believed enough in what you are doing it's almost like a signifier yeah. um you know and and when you've made that course and someone parts money for it it's, fant- it's fantastic. I re- I really enjoy that s- side of it and it pushes you to, you know, obviously make good quality things. Um, but I, yeah, I get a real, a real buzz out of, uh, out, out of that side of, uh, of it. That someone, someone is, especially in the age where so much content is free and people expect everything to, you know, cost, cost nothing. Mm. Um, where someone will will part with some money for a, for a, for a course, it's great, fantastic.
0: Yeah, it's ah, uh, it, it's absolutely huge, and I think I think you, although although we kind of do this kind of thing for love of the instrument and music and and all that kind of thing and, and education, it, it is incredibly validating um, having someone make that decision to to invest in you in some way and i think you don't you don't need it to happen a huge amount to to give you enough uh confidence to keep going but but you do need it uh in, enough and you know i kind of think back to first days busking and you know making 200 quid between five of us for four or five hours on the street and thinking that we were millionaires because it was just right okay it was so great um and you know <laughs> enough money to buy some beers and uh, and some nibbles and that, that was all we needed and so we kept busking uh, and if we hadn't had that initial uh, inspiration of, well, people like what we're doing, let's do it some more. We wouldn't have pushed through and then started gigging four or five nights a week. And, you know, there, there's kind of extra stages of validation along the way, um, which is, is, is really cool. Um, yeah,
1: but but I guess every every 50p that gets thrown into the hat is a form of validation in a sense, isn't mm-hmm. it? um you know through through to if someone comes out and um supports you at a show that's validation it's very hard now which is which i think is is a a real shame is that one of the things the internet um has done obviously is it pushes the cost of things down to um down to zero and hopefully we are starting to bottom out of that curve around people are starting to understand if you want a quality news, then you need to pay for it, right? Because you want um, newspapers to have good journalists and bureaus around the world. Um, And, you know, publishing and music was one of the first industries to be disrupted by the internet. So now we're still in this period where there is no inherent value, perceived value in a piece of recorded music and so you pay 9.99 or whatever it is to spotify every month and you can listen to anything that's ever been recorded and as a consumer it's fantastic um but obviously you know previously you would have bought four five six seven cds a month and that money would have gone more of it would have gone to to artists so now getting getting validation as a musician through songwriting and, and, and recorded music has has pretty much disappeared, in in, in a monetary sense, um, which is which is really which is a shame, really. But hopefully, all it will come back. Maybe we'll see.
0: I think, yeah, it, it is a shame in in one sense, but but I, th- I I still believe that we're living in a time when when there are so many more opportunities for musicians to uh, kind of earn their their keep. Than, than there have been in the past, and and kind of the the, the rise of uh, what's being called the musical middle class is kind of a, a new uh, part of of, uh, of the setup. It's it's these people who they're maybe not making all of the money from the creative process, but but that's being subsidised by thinking more creatively about. Uh, their their own careers so I think people are putting a lot more time into um, being their own publicist and publishing company um, and creating music for uh, all all of the synchronization on film and video and all that kind of thing that you know we have so many channels and so many movies being pumped out that that there's loads of work on that front and everyone has started teaching uh, which which is great um it's great for you and for me because it validates online teaching um a a massive amount um and it it means that people i think people are getting a much closer relationship with their fan base thanks for sure
1: yeah yeah a hundred percent but i do it i it's all it was always a hard way to make a living and it, it and it remains so and yes, the dials have been re- recalibrated in terms of where your revenue comes from, um, because yeah, people don't really buy CDs uh, anymore. Um, but as you say, certain there are other avenues which didn't exist uh, exist before for sure. Yeah.
0: Do you do you think that so? I mean, you know, you you put out your own music. Uh... Was that kind of late '90s, early 2000s? Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, first first album came out '98, '99, something like that, and then the next album was 2003. Yeah, a long time ago now. Do,
0: do you think if you were that age now and and putting out music for the first time, um, do you feel that that you could have um, turned it into a more of a a career, more of a long term career that that could have sustained a life in London?
1: No, I, I, I think it's harder now. Uh-huh. I do. I, on, on balance. I do, I do think it's hard. It's harder. Yeah. Um, especially, especially if you want to be, which was, which w- what I wanted to be at the time when I, when I decided to turn professional, make the leap was to be, you know, in quotes, an artist, mm-hmm. you know, I, I didn't set out to post YouTube tutorials or, or make courses back then you know i i wanted to find my own voice you know musically as a harmonica player and as a songwriter not as a singer i have a dreadful voice um i sing well enough to write a tune but no no one's going to pay money to hear me sing um so yeah i so for me it was all about making records and touring the classic the, the classic right uh way i think that way is for roots music kind of music that uh that i make or made uh it, it is much harder all the friends i know who are still on you know on the scene it, it's it's really difficult um because venues are, sh- are shutting um art subsidies grants are not there and i think it, it, it although there's more and more channels and opportunities because of the internet there's so much more noise uh, to, you know, to cut through, um, there's just so much content, um, so much, you know, music out there. Um, and there's so much mediocre music out there and you have to sort of cut your way through it. So when I, what was hard for me in making an album when I was 25, um, was the recording costs and, you know, getting it pressed and distributed none of those things are problems. Now you can make a good record for not very much money in terms of, you know, production costs and you can, you know, whack it on Spotify, whatever. So distribution and making is not the issue. The issue is translating that into listeners and and revenue. But if you want to write soundtracks and teach and have a, a you know, a hybrid kind of career, then I think, um, you know that then as you say, there are so many more avenues but when i when I got into it it was like I want to be you know Kim Wilson or the like the artist that inspired me to to you know to play and that meant touring and trying to make great great records and um yeah and uh so I think now that would be really easy in terms of putting the 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 music out uh but would anyone hear it and i i saw a massive difference when i think back about you know the time when i was uh, a, a musician and then came i saw i haven't done a gig under my own band since 2004 so that's a lot you know that's an ice age right my last gig as the lee sankey group was in october 2004 in paris at the New Morning. And since then, I, I haven't really played, you know, my own music or I haven't had a band since then. And if I think just going up to that point, how much the music scene changed from 1990, 1998 to 2004, you know, when my first album came out, I could I could sell it through, you know, I would just go up to Tower Records and up to Virgin in Oxford Street and they would take copies From me and they were selling so many that that led me to get a distribution deal you know and um that record sold much better than i expected and that's when i turned pro and when i launched my second record the you know getting getting it played or just seeing how the internet was already changing behavior was 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 really uh, different just in those few years and like now it, it would just be totally different, totally different. It, all, it would all be about Instagram, yeah. you know, YouTube building out people, people like, do you know, Jacob Collier, people like that, yeah. you know? Um, so it, that's how you, that, that's a contemporary <laughs> yeah. way to do it. Right. Um, so yeah, I think, I think what you'd have to do now would be very different to what, what I was doing in, mm. in, uh, 1998
0: for sure, but I think I mean what 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 you did uh, in in 98 um, was was kind of kind of innovative in itself because um, not not a lot of musicians put put together a recording and 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 kind of sort out trying to get a distribution deal themselves. Um, you know, a lot of people. I I, I mean m- maybe it was starting to tail off by then, but I think a lot of people were trying to rely on. Uh, trying to get record contracts and some kind of support um like i i, I think that that's that's definitely strikes me as a, a personality trait of yours that you um you want to kind of uh, do it your own way um so I, I i think that you're potentially selling yourself short if you were starting now i think i think you could you could make it work because you're you are innovative in how you uh, do things
1: that's that's very kind but at the end of the day i think a, there's so much of it you, that's out of your hands, you know. That's what's so cruel about anything, you know, creative. Be it, you know, as a, if you're providing some kind of service, um, or selling a product, you 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 can put yourself in the best position for someone to buy buy your product or or hire you. Um, but a lot of it is is about luck, and 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 um, I wish it was all about hard work and stuff, but it isn't. Mm. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, and a lot of it is out out of your control. Why do some people make it, and you know, and, and others and others don't? But I, you know, when when I I actually recorded my days just beginning my first album when I was I was was twenty seven, and I so I started writing in when I was about twenty five and um and i basically worked in a call center and saved all the money that's how i made the the, the recording basically mm-hmm. um and um but it took me a you know, a long time three or four years to save the money and my my absolute like focus creatively during that period was i and the, and the re, the read I was sort of making another point but essentially once i had it recorded i did i did i did have quite the you know long discussions with sony about um releasing it through them and and also island records Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day i couldn't really see it happening and also my mum used to work for cbs records back in the 60s um and and just you know that artists don't really get much money from the label so record labels really started out as banks if you that's what they really are record labels are essentially banks so they would provide the capital for you to make your record when recording studios are really expensive and you know that's what they were they're essentially banks when you can make a laptop uh, an album on a laptop you the role of a record company has kind of shifted and so I thought well I can make this myself and if I can sell a CD for 10 pounds at, you know, on the stage, that's 10 pounds to me minus whatever it cost me to record and press it. So it just seemed I could be a lot less successful and make more money, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is, uh, you know, um, but but now I just think, you know, you, you sometimes you would do gigs back in the day and you, you might sell 60, 70 CDs sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and, and and now artists who are uh, like, I mean, some artists are doing that, but I imagine in roots music, that's, that's, that's pretty, you know, rarely the case. And, um, but the main thing thinking back to that period was that first record for me was all about putting out a record that I didn't already own. I mean, one of my biggest sort of observations and criticisms of, blues music is just the lack of originality in the songwriting and the core chord progressions and so on. And for me, it was always things, um, groups like portishead head. I've said this many times, you know, for me, portishead head is a blues band. Right. Yeah, totally. Um, right. Um, I don't know if you know a singer called Alice Russell, she's yeah. on a label called true thoughts. She's a blues singer, right? You listen to Alice Russell. She's a blues singer. Right. Um, and then you have other people like, you know, Gary Clark Jr. or, you know, uh, John Mayer, you know, who sort of straddle and take it in different places. And I think the idea that, which, if you if you want to do a museum piece, uh, and, then there's, and there's a place for that, there's some people who do that, like, really well. And I still love bands that are, are out doing that. But for me personally, I didn't see the point in making a releasing a record I already owned. It seemed just entirely bizarre. Um, So my main focus around putting out that, that record was for it to to be a blues record an unashamed blues record. Um, But I wanted it to be very well recorded. So I worked with a guy called Phil Brown, who um, recorded uh, like talk, talk and tears for fears and people like that. And I spent a shitload of cash on recording it and mas- mastering it. Um, can we swear? By the way, I just oh, Of swore. course, yeah, no, uh, don't no, worry. Right. Everything okay. is explicit All right. here. <laughs> All right, okay, great. I wasn't thinking. I like, yeah. Um, and um, and I, you know, I spent a lot, yeah, a lot of money producing it. But I wanted the focus was on the material, you know. And 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 even in the run up to that, even though I like, like I said, I yeah, I sing. I sing just about okay. Um, and I can sing, you know, I sound like Ray Charles in my head, but obviously I, it's, it sounds terrible. But I knew the average listener doesn't listen to the harmonica solo, right? If you want to make a great record and a great song, as opposed to a record for harp players, most people listening are not going to be listening. They're, they're not interested in tongue blocking or overblow. They're just interested in the song and the and the idea. And for me, that meant that, I had to work with a singer, a proper singer, because that's going to be front and center, right? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, and uh, if I do make another record and I like to someday, I'm thinking I would do what Ronnie Earl did, you know, um, with that album called Still River, which is a fantastic album. I think 10, 11 tracks, and it's all instrumentals. It's fa- you know, it's fantastic, no singer, and it's 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 an unashamed, unashamedly blues guitar album and it's not like here's two bars of average vocals and let's get them out of the way and then i can i can play my um harmonica and um i didn't want my first record you know to be like that and that was my main sort of creative focus
0: which is is really unusual for anyone doing their first record as as you know as as an instrumentalist because i mean the, the classic thing is to kind of come out and and try and do a showcase of your chops and i mean you, you have chops for days so it would be logical to kind of do the the harmonica hero album um i think it's really cool that, that you didn't do that and obviously there's there's great playing on it um but then you also have uh ridiculous uh musicians on it because you had matt scotfield yeah, right. and ian siegel on it didn't you
1: uh yeah ian ian wasn't on my first record okay. um but 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 matt M- matt scofield was yeah and uh, and i guess that whole that is such an amazing period because the genesis really of that record was i you know i i got into harmonica when i was 18 i i um by a guy called james hunter who used to be called howling wilf and he's <laughs> a really uh a, a, he's i think he's the uk's best R&B singer, the finest R&B singer the UK's ever produced. He's absolutely phenomenal. He doesn't play harmonica anymore. But I saw him and I was like, literally the sky opened. I, again, it was October 1988 in Gossips, uh, which is like a rock club. Ga- Promoters like Gaz and and Blues is still going. And it was in um, a basement in this, uh, on Dean Street, where the Soho townhouse is now. And I, I, I started get, getting into harmonica, but I, would never thought about playing it. And, but when I saw someone playing it live, you know, with a bullet mic and that whole amplified sound, I was like, wow. And I went and bought one the next day. And then by, by coincidence, I then, not by coincidence, it just kind of happened. I'd started going to see his gigs and he was playing uh, the Hunter club. And then one evening, Paul Lamb was on the bill. And uh, and then I saw Paul, and Paul is like an out and out harp player. So um, so then I, I you know I I started following Paul around. Paul and I became good friends, and you know he taught me so much. But one of the things that I I realised watching Paul is that you know Paul just played harp. You know he he had a fantastic singer. Whoever it was at the time, he didn't compromise on on the vocals. And through that same period, I started going to the Station Tavern, which is, you know, where Paul and other, you know, Big Joe, Louis, Steve Weston, all these guys were playing this pub called the Station Tavern. And then around the same period, there was this pub in North London called the Weavers, which which ran easily the best jam session. Of the period in uh, in London, so people, you know, American acts would come and play there. The house band was a touring, you know, a touring band. It was a very, very, very good band. And but I remember after a a a period of time, just everything that the lack of songwriting really started to, to 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 come across. And so out of that period of 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 the weavers I that's what really drove home that that I wanted to have my own sound and my and my own voice and have my own material and then when I met um, uh, Matt uh, uh, the weavers he was only like 16 and a half or 17 at the time <laughs> but you could see you could see you could see the, the 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 potential and he was able to so I was playing guitar uh, at that point so I started playing guitar a year after I started playing harmonica, and um, so I was able to sort of noodle riffs and so on. But 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 you know Matthew was able to build and contribute so much more onto what I what I was doing, as as did all the guys in the band. Um, Jeff Walker on bass and and David Mignan on on vocals. So I was very very lucky to be working with those guys and it all it all just sort of clicked around that concept and we wanted we wanted to do something um different and all those guys you know i i did at one point have ian siegel and matt schofield in my band and a five-piece horn section and that that <laughs> was that was a killer outfit it's a shame there's no there's no uh youtube footage of of of, of that lineup because that. We would we would go up against anyone. Um, that that was that was a very special band.
0: That's yeah, absolutely insane. I think when you're talking about kind of luck in in the music industry, to me that that kind of luck is is the real luck. It's the happening to be in a scene where you happen to make those connections with with those people. Paul Lamb takes you under his wing, like just those kind of very chance things that come yeah. together. If, if that, like, if you hadn't, if you hadn't seen, uh, James Hunter playing, then, you know, you you wouldn't have rushed out to buy a harmonica, like all this stuff had to come together, um, which is kind of (laughs) nuts. Yeah, yeah, it's,
1: it's, it's fine lines, you know, and I, and I only went to see that James Hunter gig because, um, a girl at college mentioned it because I started listening to harmonica, um, sorry i saw i got got into the blues literally how 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 embarrassing is this right i got into blues because of a levi's advert on tv right there was a levi's track which was i think one of the first um levi's went through a very cool period in in the sort of mid late 80s they had these iconic adverts with um with soundtracks from the Smiths and all different different things around 80 85 86 87 and one of them was where this guy walks into a laundrette okay and and it had muddy waters mannish boy was was the soundtrack and I remember hearing that just going wow that is that what is what is that and of course my mum and dad had loads of blues records at home but of course you don't listen to your mum and dad's music do you? you you I was listening to Africa Wombata and Herbie Hancock Rocket and and the Smiths and other stuff like that so I, I was like what's that and then it turns out, oh yeah, yeah. My, my, my mom had loads of Paul Butterfield records, loads of lightning Hopkins records, but I never asked her cause she's, cause she's my mum, and I'm, I'm, <laughs> you know, my mum's not going to listen to cool music. Um, and, uh, and when I started listening to it, it, it was the harmonica that really stood out for me in the instrumentation rather than the piano or the, or the, or the guitar. It was the harmonica that spoke to me. And, um, and then, yeah, this, this girl just knew that I'd started listening to blues and that I liked the harmonica and, and just said, oh, yeah, I saw a band the other night. You should go and check them out. They've got a harmonica player. And nine times out of ten, you don't go, do you? No. If someone says to you, hey, I saw a great film the other day or I read this great book, right? Nines out of ten, you go, yeah, you know. <laughs> um, but, I, but I actually went. And the fact that I went changed my life, 100%. 100%. I, I was on one particular vector, and, and that took me onto another vector because, because that, that's the important thing, I think, why live music is so important and also why live workshops and live educational experiences are so important because I had listened to loads of blues harmonica at that point, right, on, 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 on tapes, right? And, um, and it didn't cross my mind to play because I had a very bad experience of music at school. You know, when I was at school, music was all about classical music. It's not like today where, you know, if you go and do music today, they'll teach you rock and they'll teach you, right. It was, it was, it was, it was very snobby and, and inaccessible and it was all around classical music and I didn't like classical music. Then I don't like classical music now. Um, so I didn't, I didn't get into it. Um, but, so, it never crossed my mind to play an instrument, but when you see someone actually doing it, um, it can it can light a candle. It's the same with the guitar, right? I saw B.B. King play in um, Hammersmith Apollo, okay. I think in 80, uh, 89. And I, I saw him play and I was like, that is just the coolest thing ever. And of course, I'd heard loads of guitar before, but it's mm. that thing that, 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 that thing about seeing it. Live and um, I, I, I also remember one of the like big impactful moments for me with uh, with uh, with Paul was um, in I think in my fir- first lesson with him, right, going around his house and hearing him play acoustic, right, no amplifier, and suddenly realizing that big fat west coast sound is an acoustic thing mm-hmm. right he, he he I was like whoa the sound he could get out of the harmonica without without an amplifier when i heard when i heard him do that when i was like i must have been 1920 i was like that 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 is incredible because you think oh it's the amp it's he's using a basement and a bullet mic that's where the sound comes from and it's not you can get that sound um you know without it well in fact you have to be able to get that sound without it and um so it's having those up close, um, uh, you know, experiences.
0: Oh, no um, doubt, no doubt. I, I remember um, the first year I did the Edinburgh harmonica workshop. Um, I had in, I, I I wrote to so many people uh, to, to like all, all the pe- all the people I liked listening to on YouTube. Um, and and everyone said yes. It was kind of nuts. But I got you know Adam Gusso Christelle Belton, uh, Liam Ward. Um, it, it kind of got to the stage where other people started saying yes. Uh, I think I think you had said yes, and I was like shit. I, I can't I can't actually yeah. bring everyone. Maybe next year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or the year after. Yeah. 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 Um, and and I remember picking up Adam from the airport. And uh, he, he was we were chatting about harmonica and stuff, and he's like, So have you ever seen a, a like an amplified harmonica player alive? I was like, No, I have I've never experienced this. And so kind of up to this point, I really enjoyed teaching harmonica because I enjoyed teaching. That was it. It wasn't that I was right. completely in love with the instrument, it was that I I really love teaching and I love music. And that was that was kind of my angle. And then I I see Adam on stage that night, and I was like, oh shit this is too cool. Like that sound, that big, and you know, yeah. had a teeny tiny valve amp, but you know, this big, dirty, uh, amplified harmonica sound. And then Christelle and Liam, I was like, oh, okay. And and it, that was when I started taking harmonica seriously. And I was already right. a harmonica teacher and playing harmonica in bands, but I'd never heard someone who could cup a microphone properly. I'd, I'd never heard all of that. And, and that tone kind of in in person and kind of felt my trousers flapping with the with the volume and all that kind of thing it's yeah yeah it's great totally different um yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you a little bit about um that kind of fateful moment when you started playing the harmonica um and you 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 played it the wrong way around you picked it up and did your own thing once again what's what's up with that well um
1: i i i may have i don't you know this is just a uh, supposition, but i I may have very very mild synesthesia. um so i when i like I put my belt on like in the opposite direction when I look at a piano, the notes are the wrong way round so i'm I, so I'm just wired you know in a in a in a different way so when i when I picked up the harmonica it's not, I, I, I honestly didn't realize there were numbers on it, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I just had it in my mouth so much, you know, and I, I just picked it up. I didn't have any lessons. There wasn't YouTube obviously. And, um, and I was just figuring it out my, you know, myself. And, um, so I, just, and I didn't know what cross position was, or I didn't have any music theory. So I would literally just put, put on records and work my way through, like, why? Why does that work? Why does that not work? And it was all by ear, and so it wasn't intentional. It was just the harmonica made sense to me that way. And I had been playing for about six months until someone told me uh, I, you know, I was I was playing the wrong way round. And I thought I was like, oh, am I? Oh, okay, I'm doing it wrong. Um, but it didn't. I tried it the other way, and it, it just just seemed totally totally alien to me. So if I sit at a keyboard, you know, the the, the low notes would be at my right. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how, so it wasn't, it, was, it wasn't intentional. Um, but I, I think it's learning like that as you had to, then I think has real advantages in some ways compared to the way people learn now. I think you and I've chatted a little bit about this before, but in it, you know, people like you and I in a way are contributing <laughs> to a problem in that we make it too easy for people. No doubt. Uh, and, and so people listening to this who are sort of really serious about progressing their level, whether they want to become pro or not, not, it's not about, you know, even, even if it's a hobby, if you just want to progress and get better at it, there's that one, if I wanted to find something out about harmonica playing, I had to get on a night bus, right, and tra- travel. Yeah, you know, I had to make a big effort, you know, to go and speak to someone, um, and 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 I had to befriend someone, and I needed, I needed someone to take me under their wing and all that kind of stuff. I didn't just do a Google search. I, I really had to want to find out, and then it's great that all this information is out there, but the downside is people don't learn to use their ears and people don't build the mental machinery around working stuff out themselves. You know, I I learned to play Duke and all these things, not because someone I watched a tutorial on it. Okay. I would have learned it much quicker, but would my ears be as good? Would my musical brain be as strong as it is had I had it all laid out for me, probably not. That's why I don't provide tabs in a lot of the stuff that I do. I try and explain it. So there's a, so there's a balancing act. I mean, I don't know how you feel about this Tomlin, but it's a difficult balancing act because you want to teach someone and lay it all out for them and have really clear explanations. But the downside of that is people are not having to spend hours rewinding a cd player going what was that phrase what was that phrase what was that phrase do you see what i mean i do there's a there's a there's a trade-off there
0: (laughs) there is it's really difficult because i struggle with this all the time um trying to explain to students who do have it all laid out to them just how much time they need to spend on one thing um because because if you can see the entire roadmap laid out for you there's this temptation to just skip through it and especially if yeah. there's there's maybe a uh, not so much of a technical barrier but there's there's a musical barrier so people yeah. will skip through because they they think they can play it because they have the technical ability to play it but they haven't really internalized um you know to me it, it comes down to you know at, at the beginning listening to a 12-bar blues for a thousand hours and You know, going so deep on that thing that gets really dull and repetitive, but then it starts getting interesting again because you've done it so much and it's so ingrained that you can then mess around with it. Yeah. But then the other side is how many people get put off because it's because of the barrier to entry because um, I think it's a personality type you know I, I'm an incredibly obsessive person I love learning stuff I feel that yeah if I have if I have a superpower it's learning it's it's not you know I'm not an amazing harmonica player I'm not an amazing guitarist or any of the other stuff that I do but I, I am good at learning quite quickly and going going deep and getting obsessive but most people aren't like that but they still want to be able to have fun with the instrument cuz for most people it's a hobby and i think that's really healthy um I, I don't think seeking to be a great musician is a particularly healthy thing for your mental well-being um, yeah sure because, I mean, you and i both know how, how difficult yeah, it is yeah it can drive
1: drive drive you to distraction yeah that's that, yeah that, that that's right and I, and, I, and i think the other thing is so, so, a lot of people don't well, they have limited time right so they don't have they they just want it laid out for them I've, I've had you know discussions with some people who've taken my lessons and like why isn't this tabbed? and i'll explain why and they'll be like well i haven't you know i haven't got time you know i just want to set it and uh, you know and that's fine um it's i think it's maybe it's just something to be cognizant of if you are playing and learning whatever your ambitions and you have this amazing resource around you that is the internet and YouTube, and you know uh, the ability to interact with 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 great great players all over the world. That the uh, don't forget to use your ears. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah it's, it's the musicality, um, and I think you. Well, I'm I'm going to segue ever so slightly because I think this is this is a really good point to talk about um the the kind of mental modeling of instruments that that you've done a lot of yeah. work on because mm. um, i think what what you've described about about going deep and uh trying to work it out yourself that is the only way to create uh that mental representation of the instrument that is completely essential to to actually have mastery over it um, yeah do you want to just talk a little bit about brain instruments because I, I think it's a, a fascinating project yeah i mean
1: coming back to our the right at the top of the conversation one of the things i'm sort of kicking around now is do i use this time to actually try and finish the book and move it move it on you know do um yeah but then but then then i'm thinking you know it's like i'll probably sell 10 copies and 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 you know you know why why you know i i haven't been able to hook it all up but that, that 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 said I am thinking about getting back onto it because it, it is such a cool idea and've I've had so much great input from so many amazing um, people um, but essentially in a nutshell our our experience of the world and, and objects is is based on inputs from our senses okay and um, so when we're interacting with something we we're, we're, we're we really we're not interacting with that object we're interacting with our brain's mental model of that thing or the world right so for instance the the easiest one best known one is your vision is put together at the back of your head yeah you don't see with your eyes you think you see with your eyes you do not see with your eyes the visual cortex is at the back of your head and you see a lot more things, or your brain sees a lot more things than actually receive, you know, reaches your, your conscience. There's no such thing as color in the real world. It's a mental concept, okay? There's no such thing as major and minor in vibration of air molecules. These are all mental model concepts. So when you are playing a musical instrument, you are not playing that uh, physical music, musical instrument. You're playing a mental model based on the inputs from your senses and the brain makes it very realistic, right? It has weight and, you know, it responds to you and, 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 and so on. So I'm not saying the physical object is not real, but it's, it, but what you, how you interpret that and what you understand of it is, is, is a mental model constructed by the brain. Yes. Now, some instruments make making that mental model easy for the brain because they give you visual information. Okay. But for instance, if you look at a drum kit, right, a drum kit does not tell you anything about time. Okay. If you look at a harmonica, a harmonica doesn't really give you many visual clues as to where the notes are you can get a broad sense of oh higher is this way and lower but then you have bends for the notes and each octave is laid out differently whereas the guitar the guitar does provide visual clues and it has a logic you know that you can apply you can play in a certain way on the g fret go up to the a fret and it it holds Uh, saxophone right so different instruments have different challenges um so when you look at a trumpet you've got three buttons and you've got this metal tube, right? Mm-hmm. So, so where is G9 on a trumpet? <laughs> right. There's there's no, there's no, there's no cue there. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it's the same. I started asking harmonica players how they knew where the notes were on harmonica. And I asked harmonica players, if they heard something, by little Walter or they had an idea in their head. How were they able to translate that onto the instrument? And I noticed very quickly because I was wondering what, what I was doing that made me play to, you know, a decent standard where I saw a lot of people, especially when I first started out who'd been playing for a lot longer than I had and who were passionate about it and practice. But, you know, to be honest, weren't very good. And, so I started, you know, after I'd been playing for about 20 years, I, I, I sort of think, what am I doing? And I started asking people, well, how did they know where the notes were? And I noticed very quickly all the players who were professional and people who played well could articulate, oh, it's like this. You know, I, in quotes, see it like this. Whereas all the people who struggled could not. And 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 I thought, oh, no one's ever mentioned this. And then I realized, well, it can't just apply to the harmonica, right? It it must apply to, to all instruments. So I essentially, you know, um, did this research project and involving, I can't remember now 40, 50 of the world's top jazz musicians, blues musicians. I interviewed 15, um, of the world's top harmonica players, um, including chromatic and diatonic. And I did a sample test against 15, um, you know, uh, hobbyists, or you know, je- nor, uh, I don't think of the words hob- hobby harmonica players, I guess. Um, and I and I compared the results between, and basically ninety five percent of the pros could articulate a mental model, where um, I can't remember the exact percentage of, of of the amateurs, but hardly any of them could. And I've also spoke and interviewed some of the world's leading neuroscientists, people from Harvard, UCL. Um, I've, uh, people like Chris Frith, who basically is invented our modern understanding of what perception is. Um, and, uh, so yeah. And so brain, instruments, uh, if you go to brainstruments.com as a website, you can download the research paper there. You can find out all about the, the key, the key concepts and I'm hoping to turn it into, into a book, but the project's been, the project's 10 years old now. It goes like that yeah um yeah so it's, so, it's, it's r- so
0: interesting and it's so it's so it's kind of validating to um kind of read about something that maybe you can't verbalize yourself um because I, I i definitely I, I had actually quite a lot of confusion um with mental models because I, i'm a guitarist originally um and spent a lot longer playing guitar before i started playing harmonica and for the longest time when I was playing harmonica, I was visualizing a guitar in my mind. Um, and when students would ask what a certain note was, I, I would be playing a fretboard to to find that note. Right. Um, and now, now that I, I play a ton more harmonica for various reasons and, and I've kind of over the last couple of years realized that that, that model has started to, to move more towards a, a very kind of definite harmonica image, um, so much so that it's actually making me struggle uh on the guitar to think outside of uh how i visualize things uh yeah on on the the diatonic which is kind of kind of weird
1: yeah i think it's a case of learning you know to switch between the two i think Mm. it's the same thing if you're if you're bilingual or multilingual you know do you dream in a certain language or do you you know these kind of things but the brain has an amazing capacity to be able to switch you know between the two and your mental model is a reflection of how much you how uh, uh, basically new neural pathways and there's this contradiction between actually they did like a research on um beatboxers okay which is a very easy way of taking someone off the street and getting them to beatbox and comparing them with a professional beatboxer because you don't you don't have to you know spend years learning to play you know it's something every everyone can do and what they found was that um there's this thing of, of of cognitive efficiencies and professional beatboxers even though those neural pathways are like are really stronger they actually were generating like less electricity through them because because they were so so, so well so your mental model essentially though is is a reflection of of, of practice and, and, and thinking about it. And that comes back to what we were talking about uh, a moment ago about developing that mental machinery, including, you know, your ears, the big, the biggest thing people can do. Okay. Is, uh, in terms of building your brainstorming, there's no right or wrong answer. Okay. It's a very personal thing. I've spoken to, you know, nearly all the top blues harmonica players in the world. And there are basically three generic types of models. Um, but, you know, Brendan Power's mental model is very different to Jason Ritchie's, for example. Um, and in chromatic, players tend to have only a couple of different models. Their models are, 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 are very similar. Um, but the key thing, what you need to do is you need to create a, a, a representation in the mind's eye, which lets you know and understand in a bi-directional way. So either you imagine you wanna play something and you can say, oh yeah, it's there. I go here and there, or you hear something and you go, oh yeah, they're doing that, right? And it needs to be able to take, it's not about emotion. People do you know, uh, have different representations about intensity and emotions and things like that. But I'm talking about really the practical, physical thing of how you convert knowledge and creative ideas into electricity, which drives the the physical actions which power the instrument. Um, so you need to develop a representation which includes, you know, breathing and drawing the bends and the full range of the harmonica. Now I can see the harmonica, uh, uh, you know, from one to ten, the diatonic, with all the bends, all the overblows. I, but it, but it's like I'm holding it; it's that crystal clear, and I can also stack them. One on top of the other, so I can be playing on a chord change, and I can think about chord changes in front of me. Like I can, I can, I can be on the one, and I can put another layout on top, and say that's the five chord, that's the four chord. So I can, I can see multiple um, changes at once, um, and it's all about moving through these spatial arrangements. So the so so it's you know start with one octave or something very simple, and whenever you're practicing scales. Or, or listening to music, try and picture in your mind's eye what 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 does that mean to your brain and where, where and where is it, and then practice without the harmonica in your mind. Okay, so there's research which has shown in classical musicians, musicians who are in the top five percent in classical music are those who spend time doing mental practice as well as physical practice. So if you practice away from the instrument, so if you imagine, let's take, let's take the, uh, on a C harmonica, that first position major scale going from four to seven. Yeah. Yeah. Blow, draw, blow, draw, blow, draw, draw, blow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now I see that. Okay. Almost like a fence on its side in front of me. Okay. So I've got the, the blow four going away from me. Yeah the draw four coming back to me and I can see it in like a horizontal plane. Yeah. And then, so you imagine you've got blow draw and then you move across, you go blow draw. So you get like a teeth shape as you move across them. Yeah. So you've basically got, um, two triangles up to the six blow, draw, blow, draw, blow, draw. And then you've got that kink. Then you got a line going from the draw six to the draw seven. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the blow seven. So I see it as, so if you take the harmonica away and just leave the line that you would draw between those points. Okay. That, that, that is, that is a very basic way of, of explaining what a break brain instrument is and you need to really have that. So when I'm, so now in my mind's eye, I'm, I can play major scale. I can hear it. I can feel it in my lips and my lungs, but I can see it right. You hear it, see it, play it. That's the kind of um, mantra. And so I can play things like juke in my head without the harmonica. And I can can see every phrase. I can play it through. Um, When I'm listening to someone, you know, on a CD or a gig, most of it I can say, oh, right, they're doing that. Of course, there's some licks and things which are so fast. You can't get all of it. Right. But, um, and when you're improvising, you, you're not really thinking, um, because mm-hmm. it's too fast. Um, but the subconscious basically uses that brain instrument to let you execute, as I said, converting knowledge and ideas into electricity, muscle movements, that drive the physical instrument, whether you're a trumpet player, drummer, harmonica player, whatever. And if the brain doesn't have that clear mental model, then bad things happen. <laughs> uh, and I think for, for you know for most most harmonica players, the, their mental model, the lights go out from six above.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm definitely in that category. That that's something that um, I've been working on a lot since since we did the workshop together actually I, I realized that that was kind of the the one thing that i felt really uncomfortable if anyone was like so why don't we go up go up and play higher I was like please don't ask me to do that um, right so that's something that i've been i've been working on a lot and it it's it's kind of it's kind of nuts because it's it's almost like you have um, a crystal clear representation of the harmonica and then there's a sort of shadowy area and you right. kind of just gradually start to add it in and it gets clearer and clearer um, that's it
1: yeah. that's exactly what you have to do you have to you have to you have to go into the bits which are foggy mm-hmm. and, and 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 murky and as you say make you know make them make them clearer and and also they they obviously notes mean different things in different keys or when they have different chords, you know, so the, so the draw two in cross position is obviously the one, but then if you're in cross position, that, that draw two root note becomes the fifth, right? So all the notes and and what they do and how they function changes depending on mm-hmm. the key that you're in or the chord that is sitting behind that note uh, at, at the time. So you also have to get into your head the, the, the idea of the roles that those notes play and 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 the meaning of the notes in in tandem with this spatial spatial layout, and you end up having, as a harmonica player, it'd be very different for um, instruments where you you literally have to know the, the the what the notes are in order to play. So say the saxophone or the piano, um, but a, a harmonica, you can just pick different harps and play in different keys. So with 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 an instrument like the harmonica, you 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 need to build in different brain instruments for different positions Mm -hmm. right um and so you have you know a one to ten version of first position a one to ten version of cross third uh and so on if you want to do fifth same for power bender or any of these other tunes i mean what's great about the chromatic is at least it has some kind of replicable logic as you move up you know once you've learned one octave it's rinse and repeat as you, as you move up. Right. Um, but the diatonic is such a, <laughs> uh, it's such a flipping annoying thing that, you know, notes are hidden and then you move up an octave and they're in a different place. And then some notes, which are available in that octave are not available in this octave. And then you move up again and it's all, all, you know, all different. So it's like mm. the reason why it's so important to have a brainstorm on the on the on the harmonica it's not only is it not a visual instrument you know it's 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 in your mouth and you can't you're not looking at something and and humans are visual creatures it's it's also because there's no uh you know replicable logic between each octave so it's like play so it's like playing the piano but each time you move down into a different octave someone comes along and moves all the keys around Right, yeah. it, 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 you have to. Each octave is its own, its own creature has its own personality, and then each, each harmonica key has its own character. You know, yeah. you 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 need a different approach to play cross harp on an, on an F, to playing cross harp on a G or a, or a low F. Right, it's they're different sensibilities and the reeds behave in a a different way so you can't draw you can't tear into the harps in the same way and they you know playing an e flat in third position is completely different to playing a b flat harp in third position for example so so there's all these all these things that you have to figure out into your mental model and your approach to get the best you know out out of the Mm -hmm. instrument otherwise that's that's why that's why so much harmonica sounds like, you know, pardon the pun, but you know, suck it and see, yeah. and 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 it doesn't have that in kind of intentional intentionality. And I think over the, the the last ten years, with with help, you know, from people such as yourself, the standard of harmonica playing is definitely improving, hundred percent. There's some phenomenal players out there. Um, who've, who've learned from, from yourself and Adam and, uh, you know, and other players. So the standard is definitely going up. Um, but brainstorming is is super important. And the other bit, which has occupied a lot of this discussion in a healthy way is the, is the music- musicality and, and, and people trying to find their own, their own voice, you know, definitely. we, we...
0: Mm. well, I, I was just going to say, um, I, I, you you might correct me here, but um I think that I, I would I, I would agree that getting that working on the brain instrument is incredibly important um, but if someone's just starting out i I, I think that it, it could appear quite overwhelming to think about the entire instrument in uh, one position across three octaves and and then another position and and they might think that they have to tackle all of that at once when actually, well certainly for me when I think about any position I think about how it relates to my foundational position my second position and you know for example when I think about uh, my my major playing uh, I've actually got a much stronger image of, of minor scales on the instrument and so I think about how a major scale relates to a minor scale so it, it's kind right. of always building on on that foundational knowledge it's not lots of separate knowledge that you have to learn separately it's it's stuff that's additive um, I, at least i think w- would you agree with that
1: yeah I, that's 100 100% correct if you it is all about um you know taking something foundation and building on it over the to- over time rather than taking disparate or unconnected concepts and trying to construct something cohesive out of them. So when you're building your, your brain instruments, you know, if you just have a mental model, your brain instrument just deals with holes one, one to four, Mm -hmm. right? You can play, you can get loads, loads out of that. Um, You know, that, that, then that's fine and get that, you know, really, really clear. But when you're practicing scales, let's say you're practicing second position blue scale, you know, starting from draw two, ending on blow six, for example, you know, try and place those notes in, 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 in a spatial way in front of you. Um, but yes, you don't, you, you don't have to build a building a brain instrument again, which comes back to the beautiful thing about learning a musical instrument is it, it, it's something which takes place over time and takes effort, which is why it's rewarding. So, you know, my brain instrument now is, 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 you know, hopefully, well, it's probably not better than when I was a pro, but it, it's something which has uh, evolved and emerged over over time. So don't think you have to get yeah all three positions from 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 one to ten um, straight away. That that the, the way you've articulated it there is is have a foundational area and then build build out uh, from that over time. But just make a concerted effort when you are practicing especially scales, you ask yourself how, do, you know, how do you know where those notes are? And how am I, how am I seeing? And when, when I bend a note, you know, we, the, the reason why it should come quite naturally to people, but there's no right or wrong answer for what the brain instrument is, as long as the brain instrument includes the right pieces of information the brain needs, as I said, to convert them into muscle movements, yeah, is, the way we make sense of the world a big component component of it is sound okay we we we're we're, we're we're spatial creatures okay if we tap something and it has a certain sound we know it's hollow if we tap something and it's solid it has a certain sound if something is far away it sounds quieter than if it's if it's nearer right if something is falling we associate that with descending pitch yeah mm-hmm. So, so we're inbuilt with certain spatial wiring, which will let you um, form your brain instrument. So for me, when I bend a note, okay, the note that I'm bending spatially moves down. Yeah. Um, so that just naturally falls into place. So mm-hmm. if I imagine the draw two for me, draw two is kind of like 15, 20 degrees out to my right from my, my nose for the purposes of an audio broadcast yeah (laughs) so to me that that is so my my brain is probably a um a bit bigger than shoulder width okay and and i and i can sort of magnifying in at certain points right um, but it's about, it's a bit bigger than my shoulders and my, and my draw two kind of reflects that. So slightly off at a tangent. So I, so if I'm thinking about that draw two and that draw two has two other bends on it, right? It has a semitone and then it has the tone. Yeah. Those to me are in very specific places spatially mm-hmm. from me. Okay. It's about half a foot in front of me and uh, across to one side. Right. And then similarly that draw three, and i've got the draw 3 half step end that minor third that is in a specific place right mm-hmm. so when i go da 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 something like that right i i can i can see that going from that root da 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 onto that minor third mm-hmm. da, da da it's got a very special uh, specific place mm-hmm. so it's those little things that you that you can do and you don't need some special power to do it as i said because we are inherently visual and we are we use sound anyway to make sense of the world spatially and you can draw on those things to build your brainstorming
0: definitely well thank you so much for sharing a little bit of the instrument with us and uh what i didn't say earlier is is everything that you've uh mentioned uh, i've i've been making a note of and i'll include it in the show notes so people can uh go and check out brain uh as well as uh, uh my day's just beginning and uh some of the the people that you mentioned because i think they're they're worth checking out too um oh man yeah check out
1: <laughs> matt schofield and ian siegel that's just for yeah. not uh, ridiculous <laughs> a- a- alice russell yeah. All those, uh, all those Portishead. For people probably know Portishead, but as also, I'm digging this band called the Black Pumas at the moment. I don't know if you've come across Pumas.
0: them. No, I've not. Black
1: Pumas, man, check the check, check. check, them, check out. them out. Yeah, there's a track called "Stay Gold." All right,
0: I'll put that the, in the gu- show notes. The, the, the,
1: the guys, the guy's voice is killer.
0: Nice. to me,
1: Scott. Yeah. Anyway.
0: Okay, you need to stop promoting other people, and uh, <laughs> you need to you need to tell us if there's anything that you want to uh, promote uh, to, to people listening?
1: Ah, uh, well, I think the, uh, two things really, yeah. Check out my YouTube channel. Um, if you haven't already. And then, um, I only have sort of two paid courses out, out at the moment and they're just available on v- Vimeo on demand. And I, I have one on country blues which is a style, which I, I, I really enjoy playing. Um, and, um, one on timing, timing skills, and that's my latest course. And I think there's been a bit of sort of misunderstanding about, I've probably chosen a really bad title for it because people sort of when you say timing skills, people think, oh yeah, I can keep time already. It's not really about keeping time. It's, it's how you can use time to improve your um, phrasing and to make your playing more interesting and, and less, less linear Mm-hmm. you know a lot of harmonica playing is very square you know uh square to the beat and when you listen to little walter and people like that it's not that they not only do they have you know good tone and stuff but it's uh it's it's their sense of time yeah. uh, which is your phrasing
0: yeah you know? uh, i i've i've uh, seen lee um do do a workshop on on the these timing skills uh, twice now and and every time uh I, I come out just kind of thinking, wow, there's all this stuff I need to work on, it's so cool. And I think what what's kind of absolutely amazing with it is that it's not about playing a ton of different really exciting notes, it's about taking simple phrases and and getting as much variation and as much groove out of it um, as you can because really like lots of notes is is something that people hide behind and, and great rhythm is is what makes uh listeners really excited uh musically especially people who who don't um, i'm kind of air quoting understand music people who just enjoy it uh, they don't care about you know risque scale choices they care about great groove um and yeah the timing skills is definitely worth checking out as is the country blues which uh for me is is how i i discovered you um was was kind of checking out country blues playing uh through your youtube channel and uh uh, yeah i just i I love that style and i love you teaching it so everyone should check both of those courses out oh thanks tom (laughs) appreciate it no thank you and thank you so much for 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 joining me today uh this has been a real pleasure and yeah I, I, I could keep going like i could get you to to talk for we'll do round two let's that, do a part two let's that do a part two you know all right uh,
1: yeah awesome. all right have a thank great so day much. man you too See you take later. it easy bye-bye ciao ciao bye-bye bye-bye
0: thank you so much for listening to this episode of tomlin's harmonica podcast don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review on your podcast player of choice join me next monday for the next episode Happy harping!